We're going to read from the Bible together now, and we're turning to the New Testament letter of James, at James chapter 4. Our reading comes from James 4, verses 13 to 17. You'll find it on page 1013 of the Pew Bibles, page 1013 of the Pew Bibles. Uh, on Wednesday at our pre-communion service, we were thinking about a question that God asks us, and that was from Genesis chapter 3. Uh, the question was, where are you? We're going to be thinking about a second question this morning, and then a third question this evening. Our question this morning is, what is your life? And it's a question that is contained in this passage. So we're going to read James chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. This is God's word to us. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Amen. We thank God for his word to us this morning. Lord, many of us have had busy weeks, and so we pray that you would help us to be still, still in your presence, still as we think about your word. May you come by your spirit and speak to all of us. We pray that you would minister your grace to us and that you would point us to our Savior, the Lord Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen. Well, James 4 is on page 1013 of the Pew Bibles, and you'll find it really helpful to have that little section open in front of you this morning. Uh, this, mor this morning we're coming to our second of three questions uh, that we've been thinking as part of our communion week. On Wednesday at pre-communion, we were thinking about the question, where are you? Where are you in spiritual terms? I hope that was helpful for us as we sought to examine our hearts and that it led to us understanding or knowing wh where it is in spiritual terms that we stand before God. Our second question comes from the New Testament letter of James. Uh, we've read James 4, 13 to 17, but the question comes in the middle of verse 14, what is your life? What is your life? Uh, just like the first question, this question is going to take us to the heart of our very existence as human beings. It's going to help us see what it means to be made in the image of God and what it means to be called to follow God. Our question this morning is a deep and profound one. It's one that has baffled the vast majority of humanity throughout history, but it's also a question that people run from and attempt to ignore. And that's perhaps illustrated best by the most Googled questions, beginning, uh, beginning with what in 2023. The top five questions beginning with what that were Googled in 2023 were... What is my IP? That's a technical question about internet or Wi-Fi. What time is it? What is on TV tonight? What font is this? As in, what font is it that I'm typing into Google? And five, what is the weather? Important questions, but questions that, in light of eternity, do not matter. What is your life? What is life all about? This is the question that has gripped the finest mind since the beginning of time itself. Lots of people have come up with answers to the question. Uh, Albert Einstein, the great physicist and philosopher, is once quoted as saying, our situation on this earth seems strange. 
Every one of us appears here involuntarily and uninvited for a short stay without knowing the whys and the wherefores. Johann, Johann Wolfgang von Goth, another philosopher and writer, came up with this answer. He said, the human race is a monotonous affair. Most people spend the greatest part of their time working in order to live, and what little freedom remains so fills them with fear that they seek out any and every means to be rid of it. Not, not an awful lot of hope from either of those two great thinkers. Uh, this philosopher put things in a much simpler way, um, a way that will make sense to all of us. He said, my mama always said life was like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. And that great philosopher was Forrest Gump, as played by Tom Hanks in the film by the same name. It was on over Christmas. You might have seen it. I was going to do the accent, but then I remembered that I'm just not very good at accents. A anyway, we have three different answers to the question, what is your life? It's strange. It's monotonous. It's like a box of chocolates. It's, it's random. Now, you will know, uh, I hope that you will know that those three answers uh, and almost uh, every other answer falls short, apart from the answer given to us by the Bible. The great news for us this morning is that James 4 provides answers and gives us direction as we try to tackle this question. In the same way that our first question, where are you, was a good question for us to think about in our first service of 2024. So this question, what is your life? is a good question for us to think about on the first Sunday of 2024. What many of us have found as we've grown older is that contemporary culture has, has no answer to these questions. As we've said already, most people try to avoid thinking about issues of life and death. Uh, I don't know what you do over New Year, but we normally sit up and watch the fireworks. Well, what's always notable and striking about the coverage of a new year is that it's full of songs and laughs and fireworks but there's very little substance behind it all. There are no answers to ultimate questions. But in the mercy of God, here we are on this first Sunday morning of 2024 with answers to ultimate questions in front of us. What is your life? J James is going to tell us that to understand the meaning of life, we need to face up to three things. We need to face up to the uncertainty of life. We need to face up to the brevity of life. And we need to face up to our dependence on God. Now, we're jumping into the book of James this morning in, a way, in the same way that we jumped into the book of Genesis. J James is one of the most dearly loved New Testament letters, mainly because it's so practical and so hands-on. James was the brother of Jesus, and he was a leader in the early Christian church. His purpose in writing was that followers of Jesus would be doers of the word and not just hearers. In the section that we've read, James speaks to the business community. His point is not to condemn business, but it is to condemn boasting. James has in view here people who are thinking about matters of life and business. He's speaking to people who are operating on the basis that they will be for sure here tomorrow, that they will for sure go to a certain place tomorrow, and that they will be successful in whatever they do tomorrow. Now, it's very common thinking that, isn't it? Even among Christians, making plans to do this and that, and assuming that our plans will go through. The, the big doctrinal issue that James is speaking to us about is providence, the providence of God. Now that's a phrase that is alien to the world around us. It's maybe not even that familiar to you, but the shorter catechism gives us a great definition of providence or, or the providence of God. It says, God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful preservation and control of all his creatures and all their actions. What the catechism is saying there is that according to the Bible, Nothing in the universe would continue to exist for the slightest second without God. 
One person has said that you can't even put your socks on in the morning without God's providence. Without God's complete and sovereign control over the universe, there would be no universe. James talks in a very practical way, but the doctrine of providence underpins all that he says. He wants us to see that our lives are a gift from God and that as the days follow each other, they too are a gift. He wants us, as we've already said, to face up to three things. We need to face up to one, the uncertainty of life, two, the brevity of life, and three, our dependence on God. Let's think about the first thing we need to face up to. We need to face up to the uncertainty of life. Look at what James says in verses 13 and 14. He says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. James has the business world in view here, as we've already noted. People who are planning on all of their tomorrows. The kind of people who talk about making heaps of cash in the year ahead, in the next five years, in the next ten years. You can maybe imagine someone talking like that. You maybe know someone who talks like that. You know somebody like that. Someone who just talks and talks about the work they're going to do and the money they're going to make. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. That's what James says. In this area, my sense is that we live with this, perhaps not at the forefront of our minds, but very close. In Christian circles in this area, we hear this a lot. But there's a sense in which we don't really live like it's true. It's one of those cliches that we, we trot out but don't live out. Of course, the Bible is full of these kinds of reminders. And we're constantly warned about presuming that tomorrow will come. Proverbs 27, 1 summarizes the matter well. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Now, the danger in thinking ahead about this issue is that we become very pessimistic or we're filled with dread. Don't want you to leave this morning worrying about all the things that might go wrong in 2024. It may be the best, most successful, happiest year of your life. But it is worth pausing and meditating on the truth that we've all made plans for 2024. There are already things in our diaries as individuals, as a church family, but we just don't know if they'll happen. In God's providence, they will. But one of the unsettling dimensions to life is that it's uncertain. It's very humbling. It's humbling to be told that you're not in control of your own life, that you're not the captain of your own ship, that you're not the master in your own house. You might know what you intend to do and what you intend to be, but a thousand things might stop your plans in their tracks. In the year that has just passed, some of us have been reminded of that uncertainty in very challenging and very difficult ways. Despite that, this is not something that we can avoid or ignore. All of us need to face up to the fact that the, uh, all, all of us need to face up to the uncertainty of life. The, the second thing we need to face up to, according to James, is the brevity of life, the uncertainty of life, and then the brevity of life. Look at what James says in verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. This is a great illustration. If James is a practical writer, He's also the master of a simple illustration. This is an illustration that has been passed down through generations and has always been understood by people who read it. James says that our lives are like a mist that appear for a short time and then just disappear. Now, how can we imagine this? Let's think of the most mundane task, boiling a kettle. So it's 10 a.m. on Monday morning, tea break time. Off you go to the staff room or the kitchen 
to get your morning dose of caffeine. You fill the kettle with water, you put it into its base, you click the lever down and you wait. And depending on how good or modern your kettle is, you wait for a while, not very long, long enough to flick open your phone, to scroll down your newsfeed to see what your friends were at over the weekend. You know it's time to wrap up Insta or Snapchat when the kettle comes to the boil. Click is the sound that indicates that it's time to pour the water into your mug. But what have you missed while you've been gazing at your phone? You've missed the steam coming out of the spout. It's not there for very long, but by the time you pour the water, it's evaporated. That's what your life is like. You're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. We need to face up to the brevity of life. The Bible is very keen to impress this point upon us. In 1 Chronicles 29, we have a record of a prayer of David while he was leading people in worship. In part of it, he says this. He says, For we are strangers before you and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow and there is no abiding. The, the brevity of life is also reflected in some of the Psalms that he wrote. In Psalm 39, verse 5, David says, Behold, you've made my days a few hand breaths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. The brevity of life. It's mentioned throughout the Bible. Job, who wasn't the most cheeriest person to read, puts it in this pithy, memorable way. Man who is born of woman is few of days and full of trouble. That's Job 14, verse 1, if you want the reference. Job is considered the oldest book in the Bible, so it was written a long, long time ago. But what he says there is spot on. Few of days, full of trouble. Life is uncertain, and it's short, it's brief. You can think of life like a pencil. It is a beginning and an end. If you sharpen it, you gradually take length off. You don't necessarily notice the difference, the change, the movement of time. But slowly but surely, the pencil gradually runs out. The people in former generations knew this well. It's generally accepted that people in Victorian times talked a lot about death and didn't talk a lot about sex. Nowadays, it's the other way around. People talk a lot about sex and sexuality, but never talk about death. You might know or remember the poem about Solomon Grundy. You maybe learned it growing up. Solomon Grundy, born on a Monday, christened on Tuesday, married on Wednesday, took ill on Thursday, grew worse on Friday, died on Saturday, buried on Sunday, and that was the end of Solomon Grundy. People used to skip to that poem, apparently. When I was growing up, mum and dad would put us to bed and, and would pray this simple prayer. Some of you will definitely know it. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. So there's a poem and a prayer you should teach your children. Very optimistic, very positive stuff. But here's the thing. I didn't forget the prayer. And what it did was give me a framework to understand that life is short. There's part of us all that believes we're invincible. It's especially true when we're young. Nothing phases us, nothing worries us. But the reality is that time marches on and that life is like a mist. You are a mist and one day you will be gone. Now with the uncertainty and, and brevity of life hitting us from this passage, we're left with the question, well, what should I do with my life? Well, there are two options, two ways to live if you like. Option one is to say, Let's get out there and, and do some living. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. The, the one that dies with the most toys wins. Option two, on the other hand, is to say, Lord, you have given me one short, brief, ephemeral, ephemeral transient life. 
Help me to use it to honor you. Help me to live with an eye on eternity. Help me to realize that I have only one life and it will soon be passed and that only what's done for Christ will last. Option two is actually the answer to the big question of this sermon. What is your life? Your uncertain, brief life is a gift from God that you should use for his glory. Which brings us to the final thing we need to face up to. We need to face up to the uncertainty of life. We need to face up to the brevity of life. And we need to face up to our dependence on God. Look at verses 14 and 15 of James 4. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. The the attitude, the, the heart posture James is encouraging believers to have is one of dependence and trust. The, the use of, of Lord here is a reference to God as the creator and sustainer of the whole world. Well, what James is encouraging his readers to do is trust that God's works of providence are wise and that he powerfully preserves all of his creatures and governs all of their actions. You can't put your socks on in the morning without him. Do you see how that's better than the option the world gives us? What is your life? It's strange, it's monotonous. It's like a box of chocolates, it's random. Compare that with knowing the God who who has planned the end from the beginning, who existed since eternity past and will exist for eternity to come. Knowing him is an infinitely better option than going through life and hoping for the best. We need to face up to the fact that he knows best. He does what is right. He is working for our good and we are entirely dependent on him for everything. What is your life? James is straight and plain with us. Your life, my life is uncertain. Your life, my life is brief. Your life, my life is entirely dependent on the God revealed to us in the Bible. The question is, how does all of this connect with what we're doing this morning? So far, maybe this hasn't felt like a very communion-y sermon. Normally, we talk about the cross, the, the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. We haven't done that so far. But here's how all of this connects with communion and our lives. If you're a Christian, how can you answer the question, what is my life? Well, you can say, my life is passing and it's uncertain and it's brief, but my life is purchased. He has purchased it. And my life is powerful because that's what the impact of a life lived for the glory of God is. Powerful. What is your life? Passing, but purchased. If you're a Christian here this morning, your life has been purchased by the one who knew the uncertainty of life in a real and tangible way. Think of the Christmas story. Do you, do you, do you think things were, were a little uncertain for Mary and the child in her womb? So they knocked the door of the inn and they said, do, do, do you have a room that we could stay in, please? And the answer comes back, no, sorry, we've, we've just given the last room away. I think everywhere else is full up too. There's a, there's a farm down the road though. You, you could try it. And then you think of Joseph coming to Mary and saying, Mary, you're not going to believe this, but you know that angel that appeared to me, the the one that told me you were pregnant? Well, he he popped in again and he said that Herod's about to search for Jesus and he wants to kill him. We have to go to Egypt right now, pack your things, get the baby. We have to get out of here. From his earliest days in this world, Jesus knew and experienced the uncertainty of life. And then think of the Easter story. Jesus in his 30s, being arrested and tried for things that he didn't do or say. 
Judas, do you think you can deliver this guy to us? Of course you can if the price is right. If you give me 30 pieces of silver, it's a done deal. Arrested, tried, and then hung on a cross where he died. Jesus' life was brief. But if you consider all the armies that ever marched, all the navies that were ever built, all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned and put them all together, they have not affected life upon this earth as powerfully as has that one solitary life. And he is the answer to the question, what is your life? Because if you're a Christian, by trusting in him, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Well, what that means is that your life is secure. As you trust the Lord, you can know that you're enveloped in his love, that you're hidden in the hollow of his blessed hand, and that nothing, not even the worst thing that can happen to you in this life, death itself, will separate you from him. How should we respond to all of that? One, with thankfulness, that despite our frailty, we can know God. How amazing is that? Two, with humility. Our lives are not our own, but we have been bought, we have been purchased at a price. And three, with zeal. Zeal to take the answers that we have to life's ultimate questions to a needy, broken world. Where, where are you in terms of your standing before God and your walk with Christ? Are you a Christian? When did you become one? What, what is your life? What is it all about? What are you living for? Where are you going? We'll come to that question tonight. But as we close our time in the Word this morning and move towards meeting around the table before us, let's rest in James's answer to this ultimate question. What is your life? Strange, monotonous, like a box of chocolates. It's much better than that. If you know and love the Lord Jesus, your life is uncertain and it is brief, but it has been purchased and it's therefore powerful. Let's pray together. Lord, you've given us one short, brief, ephemer ephemeral, transient life. Help us to use it to your honor. Help us to live with an eye on eternity. Help us to realize that we only have one life and that it will soon be passed and that only what's done for Christ will last. Lord, continue with us in our time together this morning. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.